Good evening, everybody. My name is Ryan Miner. You're listening to a Minor Detail podcast on, let's see, Facebook Live. We're recording. The podcast is going to go up in just a bit. Tonight, I have with me a special guest. His name's Joe Kane. He's a Baltimore City Council candidate. He's running in District 14. And Joe, I believe this is the first time you're on, uh, as Lynn Foxwell likes to call it, the detail. That's right. That's right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I'm so happy to that you're here. I'm glad to be talking about Baltimore City, which I think is the economic engine of the state of Maryland. It is our hub. It is the heart and soul of what people think of when they think about the state of Maryland. And look, Baltimore to us is many different things. And people like yourself who step up, run for public office to better your community, that speaks a lot to your integrity, to your character. So I'm really happy that you're with us. Joe, let's start out. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me on your website, which is uh, JoeCaneForBaltimore.com. You list yourself as a lifelong resident of Baltimore City, but I'm interested in your narrative and your background. Tell me a little bit yep. about you, your family, who you are, kind of what shaped you growing up in the city, and then where, how you got from where you were to where you are today as now a candidate. No doubt. First of all, again, I really appreciate you having me on this evening to talk about what's happening in our city. Um, like you said, it is an economic engine of our state, and we have to make sure we get uh, things in order here in Baltimore. Listen, I grew up in Baltimore. Uh, actually, I grew up in, dis- in the district I'm running in. I grew up in the Waverly, Edna Gardens area. If you're familiar with Baltimore, it's kind of like, think of uh, Johns Hopkins University or Greenbound Avenue, 33rd Street. That's literally the, the, the middle of our district. I grew up there. I remember being a young kid. Um, I was a, a born to a mother, single mother of four boys. I was the oldest. And um, my mom worked a lot. <laughs> she had to make sure she took care of us. So uh, a lot of times we spent time with neighbors, um, going to the PAL Center, going to the rec centers after school. So I remember going to people's homes after school or going to the PAL Center, spending hours there. Like those were the places where, you know, if my mom wasn't able to keep us in line, Miss Fanny would or Miss Joyce would. And so um, I went to Northern High School here in Baltimore. And if you know anything about Northern High School at the time, it was a terrible school. Like we didn't have the resources we need. The climate was out of control. So I grew up here in a typical story here in Baltimore, right? Um, after high school, I joined the Army. I spent four years in the field artillery, uh, serving in upstate New York. And I uh, spent one of those years over in Baghdad back in 2005, 2006. And uh, if you remember, Ryan, that was during the time when uh, Iraq had their first democratic national elections. Yeah, that was the and, surge and then, time. That was around the yeah, time yeah. when David Petraeus came on the scene. And right. they had the sur- that. In fact, 2006 was a deadly year for That's Iraq right. and especially around Baghdad. That's right. And so we were there. We, our job was to provide protection so they could have those elections and they would, you know, dip in the thumbs and ink and so forth. And so um, after four years in the Army, I came home um, um, really, you know, with a different experience, a new, new outlook on life. And it was like, what happened to my city? The city I grew up in had, you know, dramatically continued to decline. And so um, I went to Morgan State University. I studied political science and it was there where I really began, uh, my eyes began to open around how we can use organizing to make change within our city. I remember being a student and there was this young man uh, named Chris Goodman. He was an organizer with the Baltimore Algebra Project. 
And uh, he began to he began to challenge some of my favorite professors on just this notion of Obama's presidency. And so after this conversation, I went to him and said, "What's going on?" And began um, and it was there I began organizing with the Baltimore Eligible Project. Uh, some of the first efforts I, I I became involved with was around how do we stop uh, money from going into youth prisons, into divert funds, into um, building new schools here in Baltimore, and more money into education. Um, I became involved with uh, when high employees wanted to unionize, uh, we were there helping support in those efforts. And so it was at Morgan State where I began to really get involved in organizing around Baltimore City. Uh, fast forward a few years, um, I'm a parent, I have four children, uh, my wife and I, uh, as our children became, became older, we got involved in like, how do we change or just really uh, impact what's happening at our children's school? Right. And so um, I joined the PTO and I'll be honest with you, I didn't go in there wanting to join the PTO. My wife, she got her message together. She was running for president and um, and she gave her speech. And, and I'm like, I looked at my wife and said, do you like, that's not what we talked about, right? Because we at our school, we had an issue with climate and culture where windows were being broken and we had this brand new building. But what are we doing to really make sure that the children are receiving the education they need inside the school? And so I stood up and said, hey, you know, I know I'm not here to run for office, but like, do anyone else see the broken windows outside the school? And after some passionate speech, I became president of the PTO. And so from there, we began to go back to grassroots knocking on doors, telling people, this is our school. We have, If we want to see change in our school, we're going to have to be the ones to bring that change. And so we helped, we put tents up on the corner. We just went back to old school organizing parents and community members around how we can make change within Waverly Elementary Middle School. Uh, fast forward, um, we, we, we made some significant changes in that school. And in the following two years, I'm going to tell you, uh, you know, uh, my wife ran for president again, and this time she beat me, Ryan. <laughs> she beat me for PTO president. And um, so I moved on to organizing. At the, uh, I, I currently serve on the Parent Community Advisory Board for Baltimore City Schools, where our job is to, uh, to, to really uh, in, in advise the CEO and school board of commissioners on different policy issues and ensuring that parents and community voices are at the table. And so for me, my story is one of like growing up here in Baltimore, going to the army, coming home, having my own kids now and knowing that I do not want my children or their friends or any other student in Baltimore to have to grow up in the city, that I, the type of environment that I grew up in. But knowing that we have the only way we're going to see change in Baltimore is if we organize our communities out of the mess that we're in. We have to organize people around the issues that are important to them. And that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. And I really felt it was time, like working behind the scenes with a number of organizations like the NAACP, Baltimore Algebra Project and others. I felt it was time that I stepped up and, and, and used those organizing skills down City Hall. And so we launched our campaign November of 2018 on Veterans Day. Wow. November 2018. Let me tell you something. We're almost 100 days out, and Lord knows I, I'm desperately looking down that tunnel, you know. But we, we launched <laughs> it at, that early because we knew that if we, the, the organizing that we wanted to do, it had to be done. We needed time. We needed to make sure we had an opportunity to talk to as many people as possible about the issues in our district and how they impact them. And so we've been going door to door, to door since then, talking about this, really really taking a message of, of we have to organize ourselves out of this problem. And I'm going to tell you something, that message has been resonating. Well, 
let's talk about that message. And you, uh, I mean, what a great story. Um, <laughs> thank you. First of all, thank you for your service. And <laughs> how old are you, man? 34, 34 years old. All right. So you and I are the same age, 34 yep. years old. I'm born in November of two th- of uh, eighty five. Okay. Oh man, and I'm getting gray. I'm, I'm like I'm December, December fifth. Wow. Okay, so we're so close in age, and yep. we sort of lived a, uh, you know, uh, I was in college the same time as you were. Um, mm-hmm. I remember these same things happening. I mean, we were the same age, so I mean, I I, I can certainly relate. Um, but I mean, look, I grew up in Western Maryland, um, yep. in in Hagerstown, and my story yep. is. Uh, is is markedly different and that's kind of it's fascinating to put all the pieces together to see someone like yourself um who grew up in the city i grew up in western maryland and then we take different tracks and different paths and it's just this whole thing is so fascinating so yeah. um tell me tell me about your campaign i'm, I'm i want to learn about um a little bit about uh what policies you're running on and yeah. tell me about why you jumped into this it's not easy to run for office no, it's not no. i mean you're you're spending time away from the family you're spending time away um from doing activities and hobbies that you like sure. and then uh you know you're sacrificing a lot but it's of course for a greater good so tell me a little bit more tell me a little bit more yeah yeah i'll be honest uh, a lot of this drive comes from like I said, I mentioned, you know, I have kids, uh, four kids I'm raising here, my wife and I, and it's frustrating knowing that we have a city on the path that it's on. And so for me, it's about, it's, this, I had this urgency around, how, we have to fix it. You know, uh, to be quite frank with you, Ryan, being a black male in Baltimore City, you know, it, it's, 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 it's terrifying, especially raising black boys in this city, knowing that 90% of the of the, 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 uh, the gunshot victims or murder victims here are black boys, black men in this city. And so for me, it's like we have the, the alarms are going off in my head every day yeah. in our city. And so that, that same passion that, you know, that, that drive, the dedication to the mission that we had in the army that I was taught, you know, the army values. It's like that, 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 that doesn't go away. When you got the military, that doesn't go away. You know, being at Morgan State, really understanding like how we can use organizing to make change, that passion sticks there. So it's like we have to, if we want to make change, we have to do change. So for me, I believe that no matter what the issue is, whether it's education, public safety, transportation, climate, the way we make change has, to, it's not a top down approach. It has to be one of organizing block by block people around the issues that are important to them, triaging them into categories, and then executing. The thing is, we need someone, we need to organize the down city hall in Baltimore, given our strong mayor form of government. You know, we're looking at some charter reforms here in the future, but right now, we need people who are willing to go out here, who understand the different nuances in our city and our district, and go out here and organize people around these issues. So for me, um, everyone knows me in Baltimore knows that I'm passionate about education. Um, I know how I was cheated, quite frankly, out of education here in Baltimore City. I went to Northern High School, not not so much a good school here in the city. My wife went to Western High School, you know, one of the more exceptional schools here in the city, right? And so I know the, the gaps that I, I received in education here in Baltimore, and I know how much of a difference education makes just in, in, in the world in general, right? And so for me, it's about how do we ensure that our children in Baltimore are receiving high quality education no matter what school they're going to. And so a lot of people will say, hey, well, Joe, as a council person, 
you don't have the ability to influence or change policy in the Baltimore City public schools, right? But as a PTO parent, as a as a parent in the district who have been organizing and advocating for different issues over the last 10 years, we have made changes by organizing people. So I know the power of people. Now, how do we use our city council seat to organize in the way that really influences on the larger scale? Right. And so in Baltimore City, we have a parent-teacher group, school family councils. We have mechanisms within the system right now where people aren't, those buttons aren't being pushed at a high level, quite frankly, because of... You, you have to be a parent. You have to be one who go inside there and know what buttons to push. And so as, a, as an organizer, as a parent, I know those buttons to push within the city, within the uh, Baltimore City Public Schools and want to use our city council seat to organize schools and parents and teachers around those pressure points. Joe, how many um, kids we, How many kids do you have? We have four kids <sighs> in Baltimore City Public Schools. Four. Yep. Okay, four, man. Four. You've, you've got me. You got me beat. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Four yeah. kids. I come from a family, so my mom uh, and I are only children. My wife is an only child. Now, my wife and I, we have we have two kids, and yep. we're, you know, we're working on another. And, uh, okay. yeah, so, uh, but four, man, I don't know if I could do four. Um, but let me, let, me, let me tell you a secret, Ryan. I'm <laughs> sitting in the car outside talking to you because with four kids in the house, it is quite loud. <laughs> I bet. I, where you say you're, you're sitting where? In the car, I was talking to you. <laughs> Listen, man, that's, that's the quiet space. <laughs> that's funny. It's a, you know, every once in a while, you know, I have a where I am right now, where we're broadcasting is my uh, it's my man cave, it's my little my yeah, yeah. my small office where I I pretty much work and do everything out of, and it's I close the door and I I sort of disappear. But I might have to try that car trick. That's actually a oh, good idea. I great one. I get most of my thinking done in the car. And yep. when I'm driving and I'm alone, I'll turn on the the radio. I'll listen to That's some right. NPR or some uh, or whatever. Or sometimes I just you know I keep the radio off. I get a lot of thinking done in the car. That's but right. um, so I'm looking at your your website again. And if you're just joining me, sorry we had a little bit of audio issues. Joe Kane, who's running for Baltimore City Council in District 14, you mentioned the district. It's up near. Uh, John Hopkins, that area, and we're talking about that's Mary Washington territory, my friend. Uh, yeah, yeah. What do you think about Mary Washington? Do you think she's what got I a think shot? About? Yeah, I'm interested. Mary Washington, Mary Washington's a rock star. What do you mean, <laughs> uh, Mary Washington? I, I'll tell you, um, as a parent, uh, before forget all this politics stuff, right? And I was a parent organizer at my school, looking for help, right? Uh, we called everybody. And I'm going to tell you who answered the phone we called. And that was, at the time, Delegate Mary Washington. She answered the phone and showed up and gave all of her support to, like, how she can support what we were doing as parents at the school. And so, you know, Mary Washington, I, it, I, I will do everything in my power to make sure she's our next mayor here in Baltimore. Because we need leadership like Mary's. Like, we need people with integrity, people with vision, people who can organize, people who, who really see the big picture and, and really understand the details, and that's Mary. And so, listen, Mary Washington country, yes, that's listen. <laughs> I can't stop. I'm excited about her running for mayor. You think she's? It's an interesting mayoral race, uh, Joe. Have you? Are you formally backing Mary for 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 mayor? Uh, oh yes, a hundred percent. I'll be. On, I'll tell you. You know, early on, um, the first person, the first elected to come out and support our campaign was Mary Washington. Okay. Um, Senator, it, it was, you know, and, and you heard my story. Someone like me growing up in Baltimore, growing up in that neighborhood, it, 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 it never 
crossed my mind that when we set out to do this, that we would have uh, people like Senator Washington supporting our campaign because growing up in growing up in the neighborhood, you know that. It was a big disconnect between our politicians and the average person, and so to, to have her support, um, just knowing the type of person she is and and the type of mayor she will be in Baltimore. Listen, uh, I, I was really pleased to have her support and and and, and doing everything I can when I went to support her to become mayor of Baltimore. Are you in the seventh congressional district? I am. I am. Well, yeah. there's another race to to keep an eye on. Are are you are you? I'm sure you're keeping an eye on the candidates running in the special election, of course. Yep. In October, as we all know, sadly we lost uh, Elijah yep. Cummings, yep. and yep. there's a huge primary to fill that. That's right. That's and right. February. It's it's hard to imagine filling his shoes, but right. the 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 work continues to go on. The city of Baltimore needs a representative. Have you taken a position in that race? Are you looking at any particular candidates? Yeah, let me tell you. So growing up here, you know, uh, Congressman Cummings was a larger-than-life person here in Baltimore. You know, sure. from his, from I remember coming home from the Army, and one of the first people I, you know, went to go see at an event was Congressman Cummings and letting him know, hey, I'm a veteran, I need a job, you know, and him saying, hey, here's my phone number, give me a call, you know. So he, he was... Definitely, he's definitely a larger than life person here in Baltimore that we all loved and admired. And in that seat, that CD7 seat, we need someone with a track record of of, of, of really understanding the issues of, of District 7, right? Um, not just Baltimore City, but as it extends um, throughout the, the entire district. And so for me, I have been very clear in, in, in talking about my support and, and really excitement for Senator Carter. Uh, to be the, the congressperson, congresswoman for District Seven, because she has that track record. And when we're talking about integrity, to me, that only there's only one person who stands out um, in that crowd of of, of of really being a progressive, um, on the move, uh, understanding the issues in our district. And that's Congress. Uh, that's uh, Senator uh, Jill Carter. She's a disruptor, so I, man. I, she's a disruptor, no, yes. and she's somebody that has not been af- afraid to stand up no. and. And put integrity first to put uh, her, she's been, I I don't want to say ostracized at times, but maybe that's fair characterization of where she has been in her career. But uh, Senator Jill P. Carter is running a a ground game that I have not seen before run, and and it's being run by the the famous progressive activist (laughs) Richard Deshaies Elliott. Uh, He's a madman, he's a (laughs) madman. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'll, he he might be a madman, but he is someone who is who is extremely smart and has right. his right. pulse on the right. the community. And I think that any of the candidates who step up to run, like I said, anybody who steps up to run, I give them a lot of credit. Jill right. P, Jill Carter has been running, from my observation, a grassroots driven campaign. Similar similarly to you as well. I've it's been right. following right. you on your 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 facebook and your social media it's right. a, it's a people driven campaign from right. my That's perspective right. um joe let's talk about public safety you know yep. look last night was a happy event in the city of baltimore the ravens yep. I mean, well maybe not happy because the ravens <laughs> the ravens lost but i was look my team's not the ravens but i got to tell you you root for the home team when they're That's in right. the playoffs so right. it was a big deal and just overnight we learned that 12 people were shot i believe 5 yep. were shot fatally 
that has been such a a common theme in this city. Last year alone, there was over 340 murders. And as a city councilman, as a member of the Baltimore City Council working in tandem with the city officers, with the administrative officers, with the mayor and members of Congress and the state, what, Joe, can we do as the community, as Maryland as a whole? That's right. What can we do to stop this violence, man? What is going on over there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, you're spot on. I think, you know, the first thing we have to do, we have to do, is understand that we're facing, this is a a public health crisis that we're facing here in Baltimore. I like that. That's Uh, an interesting way to put it. It's a public health crisis. And we have to treat it like the public health crisis it is. And we, we, you know, I, I, uh, I I give an analogy often to Doors. You know, um, Baltimore's, uh, when you have a car, your check engine light comes on. The first thing you do is go check out what's happening. Um, in Baltimore City, um, our check engine light came on a long time ago, and we continue to drive the car. And now the car is broken, and we're trying to figure out how to start the car. Instead of figuring out what are the things that brought the check engine light on, what are the, what are the, thing, what are the issues that, drive, that are driving crime in our city? And so when you when you take a look at it that way, it really allows you to stop the stop the harm that's happening in our city, and, and, and prevent it from happening again. Um, what we see here in our city is uh, the, the result of uh, disinvestment in communities, um, um, disinvestment in people, um, underfunding schools, gen- decade after de- decade, generation after generation, a lead paint poisoning crisis here in our city. Uh, opioid crisis. We before there was an opioid crisis. We were facing that here in the 80s in Baltimore. And so when you have all these things, economic um, economic injustice here in Baltimore, we're the home of redlining, blockbusting. We have all these things just compact on top of each other. Um, and we have to guess what we have to ask ourselves: What is the outcome of all this? And here we are in 2020. In 2019, we have 348 murders, and starting the year off even with more murder, and just it's just constant here in our city. And until we address those systemic issues, we're only delaying the next crisis. And so, for me, uh, I remember about almost two years ago, we had a young man named Rashard Queen who yeah. was killed on the end of my block. And, and if anyone who knows who knows me knows my block on 37th Street knows we all of our neighbors know each other we enjoy each other we have a good time we have quarterly block parties like on new year's eve we had our own little ball drop in our block <laughs> and, and like everyone knows everyone and so when, right. when the young man was killed it was kind of frustrating because it was like how does this happen on a block where we all know each other you know how does violence find us here and so we began to ask a question like what can we do as neighbors like forget the politics what can we do really to put to take control of the outcomes here in our, in our neighborhood and so um as i'm on my board as the vice president i chair the public safety committee for our civic association and one thing that um we did was said hey listen let's figure out how can we create our own community-driven public safety strategy that acknowledges the systemic issues and the public health crisis that we're facing and addresses those issues right and so i went to a book festival the baltimore book festival if you haven't been you gotta come I'd and, love to. And, and and when i was there i heard a lecture by um a, a panel a lady named tara huffman from osi baltimore and she was talking about community-driven policing and so i ran up to her like a mad man at the end of the end of the forum and said hey we're talking about the same thing in our neighborhood we have to have a meeting fast forward we met in her office 
and uh, we developed a, um, a, a, an initiative where our community has been organizing for the last year around what does it mean to have our own community-driven public safety strategy. Uh, the first thing we have to acknowledge in Baltimore is that no two neighborhoods are the same. You can, If you stand on Greenmount Avenue and 35th Street here in my district, on one side of the street you have Guilford, homes at $300,000 or more. Literally, right across the street you have Waverly, where homes are fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, and so when you have neighborhoods where, where, where they dramatically change just by crossing the street, we have to have a public safety strategy that acknowledges the differences in the needs of every neighborhood, right? Not saying that this neighborhood needs more police, but we need more interventions in certain neighborhoods that address the the, the, the poverty, the jobs, the, the access to jobs, transportation, lead paint poison. We need inter we need interventions that help get us out of that situation so we're not seeing the dramatic uh crime spikes that we see here in our city and so for me it has to be rooted number one in acknowledging that public safety crisis that public health crisis but also organizing communities neighbors need to understand the power we have to inform and influence policy at city hall and so that's, that will be my job as a city council member ensuring that we're taking this holistic approach to addressing crime right. in Baltimore. Let's talk, informed. Joe, let's let's talk about some policing strategies. Every yep. mayor sets the tone of how their city council, how their police force, how you're going to interact with the Baltimore City Police Force. And over the years, they I think that they've done a fairly decent job. And there's been different models, however. Remember back in the 90s, early 2000s, uh, we had Martin O'Malley's policing um, strategy, which he's gotten a lot of criticism. He's taken a lot of heat over that. Uh, right. And then we we fast forwarded to Sheila Dixon's error, and then we had Stephanie Rollins-Blake, and then, of course, the Freddie Gray situation. So what would your approach be to police? Would it be a community-based model? Would it be a, a hands-on? How, how would you approach the policing aspect of of this, this, this obviously this key element in solving the crime problems. Yeah, yep. So policing is what happens when public safety fails, right? When, when, when all the other systems and interventions that are in place fail, we need police to come assist and, and help get, uh, um, help help us sort of sort out the situation. But for me, it has to be a community-driven model that puts it, it that shifts the power dynamic to where neighbors and community members are the ones dictating um, what the strategy is, what the public safety strategy is. And so when we think about, if we think about public safety holistically, we understand that policing, have police have a role, but also the health department has a role. Education, the, the school system has a role. Every part of the community has a role to ensuring that public safety is, is met in our community. So for me, it's about having that holistic conversation that where community is the one driving the conversation and putting players in the positions they need to be based on the needs of the community. Does that make sense? I, it, because it, it, it does. It, it has to be one where community is, is driving the conversation. And we've seen a lot of top-down approaches in our city that, that, that quite frankly, um, haven't worked. And so um, and, and one of the things about our city is that as a council member, I'll, I'll be sitting here lying to you and your listeners, saying that I have the the you know as a as a council member one of fourteen 
I have the ability to shift public policy in Baltimore. This is why we need a mayor in our city who understands that, right? Who understands the same approach. And so when we look at, um, like I'm Senator Washington running for mayor here in our city, um, Mary Washington, she has that approach to public safety that a council member like me, one of 14, we have to do the work to organize to achieve those goals that the mayor has set out. And so for me, it has to be that big picture approach to public safety. And I like the one that Mayor um, Mary Washington has put out. And I think that as a council member, I can help reach those goals. Let's talk a little bit about civil liberties. It's an issue that I cover extensively because it's yep. personal, right? I, sure. I, I'm a, I think that if I weren't weren't if it weren't for being a journalist i'd probably be a constitutional lawyer um <laughs> that might be something that i'd be interested in because i am so passionate about protecting our our the Amer american citizens civil liberties i'm so yeah. passionate about educating people on how to respectfully interact with police and how to respectfully invoke their uh their constitutional liberties in the presence of police and we know that let let's talk real tonight, Joe. And I think yeah. that and you have you're a 34 year old African American male with African American children. You're a black guy right. living in a city where That's there's right. potential, where there's problems in the city, and it's happened all over the country. We have seen over and over and over again men and women of color being shot and killed who are unarmed at the behest of police, and. It's an epidemic and it's a public health crisis. I'm going to I'm going to borrow your phrase and people say, Ryan, you're wrong. It's it, it's it's tangentially related. Why are you talking about race? We can't not talk about race. And I and that's why we have these tough conversations, Joe. So I, I, I can you expound on that? Take the conversation in that direction. Tell me your thoughts on that. So so we, we think about like the dynamics of like uh, violence in our city or just uh, policing and so forth. Number one, we have to ensure uh, that, that everyone is doing their job the right way. You know, we have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, a political nerd, history nerd. We have a constitution <laughs> and, and we have to ensure that even though we have these tough decisions to make and how we get to achieving public safety in a city like Baltimore, we we still have constitutional rights right. as, as, as people, as, as, as citizens, as, as neighbors, as people who live in Baltimore, we have constitutional rights. And so we have to ensure that our police um, who, who, um, who are doing their job uh, to the, the best of their ability. I served in the army and I, I, I know um, we when we went, I was 19 years old deploying to Iraq um in 2005 and and guess what i understood the geneva geneva convention yeah i understood that we couldn't just go and and, and uh do what we wanted to do in war we had to engage according to the rules of war and so when we think about baltimore city and our police officers and their role we had to ensure that they are operating within the rules of the constitution and, and ensuring that they're, they're operating uh fairly here in our city and so um being someone who grew up here, who was impacted by uh, the heavy handedness, the qu quite frankly, um, just the the, over, the the racist policies of Martin O'Malley, right? Where we saw thousands of black people arrested for just sometimes literally standing around. We we have to get back. To, we have to create a city uh, where justice is equal for it served equally and equitable for everyone here in our city. And so um, 
I will tell you, I, I, I know what it feels like to be driving down the street and a police officer pulls behind you and having a sense of relief. Now that I'm 34 years old, I have my insurance and everything taken care of. But 10 years ago, being a veteran coming home and getting everything back together, that was a terrifying moment, right? Is this officer going to pull me over? Is is what is going to be the consequences or outcome of this interaction with the officer? And so we have to fix that gap we have here in our city. And, and I, I'm going to tell you something. We have officers in our city who are aware and are really acknowledging this. I, I'll be remiss. I, I have uh, my, some favorite officers here in the Northern District in Baltimore, Northeast District in Baltimore, who understand the gaps that we have in our city when it comes to policing and service and are working diligently to fix them. But we have to make sure that we aren't too, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We aren't too uh, arrogant to, 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 to pretend like we don't have issues here in our city. And so right. when everyone can be honest about the issues in our city, I think we'll start to see a change happen in our city. Joe, let's talk about city charter reform and then yes. some of the, the, yeah, it's on your website. Again, if you're interested, check out Joe Kane, who's on the phone with me now, talking about his city council race in District 14. Joe, when's your primary? It's April, right? April 28th. April 28th. How many days? I bet you're counting down. Oh, come on, man. It's about 105 days, Ryan. Come oh, on. 106, yeah. Oof, 105, and you're probably out knocking doors every one of those. Every single day we, <laughs> is a man. It's craziness. Well, the city of Baltimore, I was hoping my fingers were crossed for the Ravens to win last night because, yeah. look, the city of Baltimore needs a win. They need sure. a win. It's sure. been a tough year for the city of Baltimore, no doubt. In just in a year's time, we have seen an incredible changeover in city leadership. Jack Young became mayor. He was foisted into that position because Catherine Pugh resigned in disgrace after it was found out that she was getting deals from uh, the the University of Maryland Medical Board, and she was the whole Healthy Holly scandal. That's embarrassing, man. I mean, it's embarrassing for this city. Why is it that when people think of the city of Baltimore, they think immediately to, well, who's the next corrupt leader? And it's why I think, in fairness, they don't have a whole lot of people. Residents don't have a whole lot of faith in their local government because they see right. these incidents happen time and again. It happened with Sheila Dixon and then the whole thing with the, you know, the terrible tragedy sure. that happened with Freddie Gray and Stephanie Rollins Blake. And then incoming was Catherine Pugh, who we thought was going to be a reformer, who was backed by much of the Annapolis establishment, who came in and then we thought was going to be a reform-minded candidate. But lo and behold, she's doing something that was morally reprehensible in office. She stepped down finally, um, longer than she waited longer than she should have, uh, nonetheless. And here we are again. Now we're engulfed in a new mayoral election, and people want to know, the people who represent us, right. who put their names on a ballot, are they going to be straight with us? Are they going to do the right thing? Are they going to right. live by the books? And are they going to conduct themselves in public office the same way that regular hardworking American citizens who live in Baltimore City conduct themselves? So right. let's speak to that, Joe. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. and let me tell you, Ryan, one of, the, one of the things, one of the reasons why we started our campaign so early is that we understood that there was this huge, like being a, I wasn't a politician, I'm not a politician. I was an organizer, right? A, P- a PTO organizer, a parent out here banging on people's doors, trying to make change. And so one of the things that I knew was that people 
were tired of the status quo. People were tired of politics as usual here in our city. And this was before um, the Catherine Pugh, uh, before we found out about Catherine Pugh. This was when I was out knocking doors with Senator Washington trying to help her win um, this last election. And she did. And she did. 400 votes now. And so people were tired of the status quo. And so what we understood was that in order to change that, we have to educate our neighbors on how this political system can work for us, but also inform people and and ensure that we are voting our interests and not uh, what the the, the next commercial says or who has the most money in the bank. Mm -hmm. We have to ensure that their track record uh, matches their message, right? Does it track record match your message? And so that's the work we've been doing to ensure that um, our neighbors know the difference between the politicians or the the candidates running for office in our city. And so when you talk about our race, for example, um, I tell people, I grew up in this neighborhood, so you don't have to you know, search around and find out where I'm from. I grew up right here in the district. I've been working for the last 10 years in our community. My children go to school down the street. I go to the market around the corner. You see me sitting in my car right now, right? And so we have to get back to a point where we, we, we elect people that we know have, who have been doing the work in our communities who have our best interest at heart. Our, our city um, um, is, has been historically uh, one that where we vote for the, the, the name, you know, that we know the most. I remember my grandmother telling my grandmother I was going to run for city council. <laughs> and um, the person I was running against, um, she said, that's my girl. You're not running against her, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I'm like, this is my grandmother. And so, you know, we have that relationship where, you know, we people put a lot of trust in politicians here in our city. And so now we, we're realizing that we have to vote differently in our city. And I think this is a trend that we see, just not in only in Baltimore City. This is a trend that we see around the country where we are tired of status quo politicians. We need page changer politicians, people who are going to disrupt the machine, disrupt the status quo, who are not afraid, who are not taking money from the, uh, the same special corporate interests in our city, but who have been out here fighting on behalf of people. And that's who I am. And so our message is simply that, like, we're not out here... Um, we're not funded by any big machine. We're out here raising money from our neighbors, right? And so I think the first step, how do we change that? Uh, educate our neighbors, talk to our neighbors, inform them on what politics can do, and, and really inform them how they should be really voting in their interests, and, and we'll see the change that we're going to make. So we, we saw a little of that change happen on the council level in 16 and we're going to think we're going to continue to see that change uh, we saw that we saw that change continue in 2018 with the senate races and ryan if you remember the baltimore teachers union we saw that change continue with the teachers union election this past uh this last year where we have Dim- um diamante took out a 27 year incumbent leading the teachers union <laughs> who ran a grassroots campaign so we we're seeing it happen people are really waking up and, and, and really getting engaged in the political process Let's switch with directions. I'm interested in discussing transportation and infrastructure in the city of Baltimore. People want to get, they want to live in the city. They want to move, they want to go from one place to the next, and they don't necessarily want to get in their car. If I had that option where I live in Montgomery County, I would take it. Unfortunately, we just don't. So what do you think, Joe? What do you think is some infrastructure upgrades that the city can make, that they can work with the state? 
Do you yeah. do you think that Governor Hogan's decision to cancel the red line was right or wrong? And where do you see um, where do you see uh, bike paths going? How do you see yeah. a more yeah. uh, a more transient? How do you see a more walkable, pedestrian, um, friendly city uh, yeah. when you are uh, when when you get on the council? Yeah, yeah. Transit is a huge thing in our city. Uh, when we think about the um, some of the factors that drive crime in our city. Um, you have to consider transit. How are people able to get to jobs, uh, get to school? Um, I remember being a student here in Baltimore, um, and the school I went to was, you know, far from my home. And if you missed the school bus, you had to walk about a mile and a half to the school after catching two buses. Now, who, what, what sixteen-year-old is going to do that, uh, given the option to stay home? And so we have to really transit transit in Baltimore City has to be a top priority and so for me um uh we gave up one of our cars last year i I got me a bike and and decided to uh understand for myself what it means to be um uncarred if you will like not have a car um i grew up in baltimore catching the bus but as an adult i wanted to make sure that i understood the, the different nuances when it comes to transportation and so i remember driving riding my bike on 33rd street and remembering uh that how terrifying that experience was because there aren't any bike lanes there it's not the streets aren't made for other modes of transportation other than cars and so we have uh this median strip that goes right in the middle of 33rd street that has been this topic of conversation for years let's put a bike path in this trail in, in, in this trail here on 33rd street so we have to make baltimore a more transit friendly city where people can get from from our district of 14 down to curtis bay at the coast guard yard where I work. Right now, you can't do it at nighttime if you don't have uh, transportation. And so that has to be uh, a driving factor here in our city. Um, I think that the red line that, that we we need, we needed that win, Ryan. If you talk about wins, we needed that win here in Baltimore as it relates to jobs, as it relates to connectivity here in Baltimore City. The red line would have done those things. And I know a lot of times we get caught up in blaming Hogan um, for this red line being canceled. But we had to remember that we had a Democratic mayor who didn't push it forward either. I mean, governor who didn't push it forward either in timely fashion. And so when we talk about pushing forth policies, we need independent thinkers in in government who are willing to make those tough decisions that will really drive uh, change in our city. And so transit is it um, here in our city. And so uh, I, I had this plan that I presented at the last debate and that we're going to roll out formally here soon where we have uh, anchor institutions in our in our district, like Hopkins, uh, Morgan State University, um, different universities that have their own transit systems. Why aren't we working with them as a city to ensure that public can have access to those transit systems, especially when they're using the bus lanes? They're going some of the same routes that our in, the MTA is going. So we need to make sure that we're being we're thinking holistically about how we can partner with those anchor institutions to create a more a, a transit system that's more complete in our city. And so that's just one option that I'm exploring um, and really having conversation with those institutions about how do we expand this uh, relationship with the city to ensure that um, connectivity is something that is happening for everyone. And we can take to some of the resources and move them to other places where transit needs aren't being met. If you're just joining us live, this is Joe Kane, who's running for Baltimore City Council in District 14, and he's got one hell of a district. It's right near Hopkins. And last session, last year, 
Senator Mary Washington, who is a mayoral candidate for the city of Baltimore, there was a big issue with the, the Hopkins police force. And let's talk about that. What yes. are your thoughts on that, Bill? And tell me a little bit of kind of dive into that, Joe. Yep, yep. So there was this, uh, they, as we all know, um, Hopkins, John Hopkins University um, put forth the bill, um, not last session, but the previous session before that, when they uh, 17, uh, to really, I think it was 18 or 17, but to to create a, their own uh, police force. And for me and a lot of uh, other advocates, it was it was dis- quite frankly disgusting. Um, we don't need to create micro cities in within Baltimore City. Like Hopkins, they aren't known world. They aren't world renowned for their ability to provide policing. They're they're world renowned for how do we solve problems as it relates to uh, the public safety or or the public health crisis that we're facing with crime. Right. And so for me, it was insulting that. Um, instead of doubling down and helping us figure out how to solve the issue of crime in our city, they took this uh, inward approach and wanted to create their own ecosystem for policing. And so I was against it 100%. I worked with Students Against Private Police, uh, um, Senator Murray Washington, to look, look for amendments on how we could stop this from happening. And because policing is a public good that should not be privatized. And, and the question is, if we allow Hopkins to get their private police where does it stop what if tomorrow you know what um there's an organization at the harbor that says you know we want our own private police we, we can't just have these uh, open-ended responses to crime it has to be really comprehensive and like how do we be better partners to help baltimore city and so when we think about um uh, for me when we think about um johns hopkins and wanting to in their words to help with crime in Baltimore, like, how about let's renegotiate the pilots? Like, you you have millions of dollars of property in Baltimore City. You don't pay taxes. Let's renegotiate how well, how, how much do you support so we can have um, and make investments in other areas that will reduce crime in our city. And so um, I was proud to stand with people like Students Against Hopkins Police, uh, different community organizations within our district who said no, and, and and was proud to stand with Senator Murray Washington and Senator Carter, the only two senators who voted no to the bill. So, like to me, we have to get back to um, working with working with people like Hopkins, our partners like Hopkins, to uh, address the systemic issues. Like let's let's go back to what you're known for and help us fix this public health crisis, not double down and retreat to your own micro. Uh, community here within our district. Joe, let's talk about economic investment, jobs, and generally the overall economy in yep. the city of Baltimore. First of all, how would you rank the the economic output in Baltimore? What's the economic stability? What do you think of the, the major industries? Obviously, Baltimore City has some excellent restaurants. There's some great places to visit, and there's some real commerce taking place. But what can you do as a member of the Baltimore City Council to influence businesses to sh- set up shop in town, to remain there, and to continue to grow there, to spur the tax growth, and to, to add more of uh, those tax dollars to the rolls? That's right. That's right. You know, that's economic investment here in Baltimore is going to be the game changer. Um, And so what we have to do is, number one, it goes back to education. We have to ensure that our students of today are prepared for the jobs of tomorrow. Right. Or even the jobs of today. We have to ensure 
that uh, we we have here, Johns Hopkins University, one of the largest employers here in the city, right? If not the largest. And then you have University of Maryland, and you have uh, all the different technology, medical te- biotechnology here in our city. Um, I work at the Coast Guard down at the port. How are we preparing our people, our, our, our neighbors, our young people, um, for the jobs that we have here in the city, but also how are we connecting them to the jobs that we have? Uh, until we fix the systemic issues, Ryan, like the education, the transportation, um, the housing uh, here in Baltimore, we're not going to see the level of investment that we want, that we need here in our city. Um, and so it has to it has to be one of those things where we... Um, well, we have to uh, triage. We, we're, in a, we're in a crisis mode. We have to fix some, some things before we can open up shop. And I know we don't like to hear that Baltimore isn't open open for 100% business. We're not there yet. Our schools are not producing high-quality education for all of our students in our city. We don't have a transportation system in our city that connects people to jobs that we currently have. And so we have to start fixing those areas so that way we can attract business here to our city. But we also, one more thing, Ryan, we have to, um, we have entrepreneurs right here in Baltimore. We have stock, uh, we have business, we have uh, storefronts here in Baltimore. How do we connect the entrepreneurs that we have here in our city and create opportunities for them to start their own businesses. We don't have to always look out and, and try to attract people to our city. There are people here who have ideas. How do we cultivate their ideas? And so one of the things we have in Baltimore is the Youth Fund, right? Um, for Baltimore City, uh, the Youth Fund, to really help and, and, uh, to do different things in our city. But we have to have a city government that's functioning pro- properly that can get those funds out. If, we're, if we have great ideas and we're putting systems in place to help and the, and the money isn't reaching the people, then we're not doing anything. So I, for me, Ryan, the first thing we have, to, we have to do is fix the things that aren't working and show that they're working properly, like education, like transportation. Um, that way we can uh, attract new business here to our city, but we also have to triage and, and figure out how do we get the people that are here connected and help them create opportunities uh, to start their own businesses here in our city. Joe, last year, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, made some remarks about Baltimore City that highlighted the city's issues. However, the the president called the city a rat and rodent infested city. Uh, He disparaged the Baltimore City in a way that I think a majority of the residents felt that it was unnecessary and offensive. Do you want to respond to that? You know, it's funny. I remember, uh, I think the next day after that happened, I went to an interview on um, 88.1. I went to an interview, and they asked the same question. And my response, I'm going to give you the same response, Ryan, (laughs) is that I I I don't want to respond to that. I think that we know what leadership looks like. We know how leaders are supposed to act. Um, as 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 a as a veteran, as someone who served in the army and went to war, um, um, I expect more from our commander in chief. And so, when we see leaders, uh, people in positions of leadership, um, uh, you know, act uh, inappropriately, I don't think we should shine. Uh, we should we should give them any attention. What we should do is go back to organizing our communities and really highlighting. The need for change and so when we look at the president or the mayor of baltimore or, or the problems that we see around here we don't have to respond to what people everybody already know is wrong what we should be doing is taking that energy and organizing because responding doesn't change anything organizing does 
Yeah. Uh, I, I want to read to you quickly uh, a blurb from a Baltimore Sun editorial on January the 10th. And it was written, uh, the name of the editorial is Annapolis Ready to Provide Baltimore the Help It Needs. And it, and it starts out that it said on Thursday, former Senate President Thomas V. Mike Miller rose to the floor to give a Rome is burning speech in which he acknowledged Baltimore is crying out for help and that lawmakers ought to make the city the focus of their intention. And the Sun went on to write that it was surprising on two levels that it's never been clear that the Southern Maryland lawmaker has been especially attuned to Baltimore during his reign as Senate president. And... Um, they said it's about time. Of course, Senate Senate President Bill Ferguson is from the city of Baltimore. I'm sure that uh, is going to be helpful in highlighting the struggles, the concerns, the issues, or bringing in new development. It 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 doesn't hurt to have the new Senate president be um, a representative from from that city. So, it, is it time? Is the Sun says is it is it time for Annapolis to provide Baltimore the help it needs? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I mean, when we think about um, just the roles of our, our, our different governments and so forth, it, it, it's we need Annapolis to do its part. We we need Annapolis to to do its part, function the way um, that, that is favorable to Baltimore City, and making sure that we're getting what we need here in our city. But I'm gonna tell you, Ryan, as someone running for City Council in District 14. We need to ensure that the, the uh, our district is functioning properly. And one of the things that um, I, you know, we, we both have children, and you know, my you know, uh, one of the reasons I went outside tonight was that uh, we found out that one of our kids is putting the recycling downstairs, but not not taking it out for weeks, right? <laughs> just putting it downstairs in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so it's, you know, and, and so the, the blame game began to happen, you know, who was supposed to do what. Yeah. And so, you know, same thing I tell my children, listen, let's get forget who's the blame. Let's do what we're supposed to do. And so as a council person here in Baltimore City, my job would be to organize our communities in a way that uh, understands and informs what we need from Annapolis. And so when we send our delegates to Annapolis, I should be the one taking and giving them feedback on what's happening in our neighborhoods and the type of resources we need specifically for our district. And so that relationship has to be one where our senator, our delegates are going to Annapolis, but we're the ones organizing here on the ground to inform them on the resources that we need. Because it means nothing to have a Senate President Ferguson if we're not, the, we're, if we're not doing the groundwork to inform him on what we need here in Baltimore City. And so that's my job as a council person here in Baltimore City, and that's the work I'll do. Joe, I think we've we've covered a lot tonight. <laughs> you great. you man are are in your car. I hope it's not cold out. I haven't oh, been. Oh no, it's a beautiful night. You know, it it is a beautiful night. Um, Joe, look, I'm I'm proud of you, my friend, for for, for stepping out and running and doing the the community a service, and running for office is not easy putting your name on a ballot and asking hundreds of thousands of people to to support you in this endeavor it's not easy so i i applaud you joe your website is joecaneforbaltimore.com and when len foxwell and i were doing our show at harry brown's in annapolis on wednesday we always like to we always like to um uh, 
to to drift far far outside of politics <laughs> and talk a little bit about pop culture and okay. I, I always like to end the shows on some sort of pop culture either a, a television show a netflix series so let me ask you I know that you're busy campaigning. I know yep. that you've got a lot on your plate. Four kids, kids in school, everybody's sure. doing their thing, working. My God, it's busy. Are you watching any television? I'm going to tell you, Ryan, uh, you won't. I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but I've watched The Irishman almost two. I watched it two and a half times. Man, man, it. I'll tell you what. It, it was brilliant. And I'll t- and, it was. And, and I was thinking about this today. And I was listening, my, my wife and I came back from, we, we, we took a trip over to uh, to Carroll County today and came back and we were listening to my favorite radio show, Howard Stern. And he had on Alec Baldwin mm. as his guest and he was talking about the Irishman and yeah. my wife and I, we watched the Irishman together yeah. and it was, it was long, yeah. it was, yeah. it was classic Scorsese. Yeah. I loved it the Irishman for so many reasons. And I think in what Howard and and Alec were talking about today, what brought out so much emotion is that we're talking about some of the greatest actors ever, De Niro, Pesci, Pacino. These guys aren't going to do this again together. That's That's the last time that they're going to be on the big screen together. And they, um, but I just imagine how much that Netflix budget is. Netflix has so, (laughs) I wish Netflix, Maybe Netflix, it. if this doesn't work out, we're going to Netflix. We're trying to figure out how do we get a Netflix deal. <laughs> I'm telling you what, Joe. Maybe if this politics or this radio thing doesn't work out, Netflix could give right. me a gig to do a live stream podcast. Right. I, I would, right. I would take that budget in a heartbeat. That's right. But yeah, That's right. I love the, I love the Irishman. I thought it was a great film. Um, Pesci was brilliant, it, and this was. Pesci's usually the supporting actor, right? That's right. That's right. Exactly. That's right. You think of Casino. You think of Goodfellas. That's right. He's That's always right. secondary to That's De Niro. Right. Not this time. Right. He was. Yep. He was the guy. He you was know, the guy. They. They were so. It was so brilliant. Just like how everything came together. I watched the interview afterwards about how you use the technology to, technology to uh to, to um you know reduce their age. That's and, right. And just how they had to. You know, well, you're playing a 40 year old guy. You need to stand up quicker. You know, just like all the thought process behind it was just was just brilliant to me. And it, it just, you know, I watched it three, t- two and a half times. I'm, I'm still going through the third time now. <laughs> but it was just like, you know, the level of discipline yeah. it took to, to do that movie. Um, uh, it, it was just, it was brilliant. And so, and it, it just it motivates me for this campaign. It motivates like if that's the level of success. Like we have to make sure that. We're executing at a high level all the time. Hey, man, what better organizer is there than Jimmy Hoffa? Come on, come <laughs> on now. I hate to say it. He was a... Come on, <laughs> come on now. Jimmy Hoffa, come on now. <laughs> I mean, he organized the hell out of people. Joe Kane, I got to tell you, you're a stand-up guy for coming on The Detail tonight. I appreciate you, uh, you you joining me on a Sunday night when you could be spending it with your family. But you are welcome back anytime. I want you to come back and give us an update on what's happening with the campaign. I thank you so much for your time tonight. Any final thoughts you want to impart to us? No, no. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. You know, as we do the work of organizing, one of the one of the things we have to ensure is that uh, we have a, a media. We have people yeah. who are out here doing the work where everyday citizens, neighbors, whoever, whoever can 
really just go online and just find out the, the, the behind the scenes about a person. So, you know, I appreciate the service that you're offering. Um, and, and I hope I, I make sure we do everything we can do to share it because we want people to be informed when they make uh, decisions. You don't have to like me or like or what we're talking about, but at least be informed about where I stand on the issues and not just me, but every uh, politician or person asking for your vote. Joe Kane for Baltimore.com is your website. Joe, I wish you a happy and successful week. And t- I'll tell you what, if I, um, I'd love to come over to the district sometime and we'll sit down in some one of those uh, mom and pop it, it, restaurants. Anytime you're here, just hit me, man. I would definitely link up. Be an honor, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Thank you. Have a good one. Now. All right. Bye. You too. All right, folks. That was Joe Kane uh, running for Baltimore City Council, District 14. So, interesting guy uh, has a great story great narrative i encourage you check him out check him out joe kane for baltimore.com and look we're going to be doing a series of these interviews as we uh progress we're going to be we're going to be finishing um several of the the candidates who are running for city council hopefully we'll get a bunch of the mayoral candidates in i got a lot of work to do before april April, April 26th. It's incredible. I know that somewhere at a bar in Baltimore City at a, <laughs> at a uh, likely at a craft brewery, Lynn Foxwell, our trusty co-host here, will find uh, a place in Baltimore City to do a primary bit, uh, a primary night special. We did that together. We did that together in 2018, in June we were at Wet City. None of our equipment worked. Len says that he was drunk by the time he finished it. But nonetheless, we had a blast. How far the detail has come since then. Folks, I want to end on uh, a somber note, uh, more of on a personal note. And I know there's only a few people watching, but you'll hear this later on the recording. Um, m- last year, tomorrow is the anniversary of my father-in-law, Fred Large's passing. He, he died a year ago um, at, a, at a pretty young age uh, in his early 70s um, from brain cancer. He passed away down in Florida. And for any of you who are experiencing the pain of losing someone, the, the absence of someone in your lives, uh, it's, it's, you know it's tough. It's very, it, it's hard. And my wife and I have been... Um, been processing that for the last year. My, my wife, Kim, who's a saint, and you hear me talking a lot about her. She really is. Uh, she's just my rock. She's my heart. She's everything to me. So um, it's it's tough. And, you know, it, she lost her dad, and it, it's never easy, and there's always going to be that hole. But um, I, I just want you to consider saying, uh, keeping her thoughts tomorrow. It's going to be a rough day for her. And... Uh, um, Say a prayer for for my late father-in-law, who was who was a great man. He was a he was a decent, honorable um, man. Our you know, with two grandkids, um, so we miss him, and so we're you know, it's tough. But uh, yeah, so I appreciate you all listening to an interview tonight. It'll be uh, an exciting week, second week of session in Annapolis, second week already. It'll be fun on the detail on Wednesday night. You'll love this. Senator Steve Hershey from District 36 and Brian Feldman are coming on at Harry Brown's. 
and we're going to get together. We're going to talk about all about budget and taxation issues and maybe some more, maybe some politics, but that's going to be on Wednesday night. Minor Detail Podcast will be live Wednesday night. Harry Brown's with Senator Steve Hershey and Senator Brian Feldman, two of the best state senators in Annapolis. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. Thank you, everybody, for listening. My name, of course, is Ryan Miner. Listen to me on aminordetailpodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, let's see, iHeartRadio. That's a big one. You can find me on these live broadcasts. I'll post the video. And, of course, I cover Maryland news and politics on a aminordetail.com. I'm on Twitter, Facebook. Hit me up. If you have questions, email me at ryan at aminordetail.com. And if you're one of those folks that want to sponsor the podcast, that's perfect. We would love that. Sponsor the podcast. You'll get a lot of traction out of it. You'll get a lot of mileage. I promise it'll help your business. Uh, you can reach out to me again at a minor at Ryan at a minor detail.com. Thanks everybody for listening. Have a happy, successful, and prosperous week.